Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Chris Gutierrez. Super excited to bring you another episode. Stay tuned. This podcast show does not constitute legal advice. Thank you to our show sponsor, Strike National Investigations. Obsessed with results, powered by facts. In today's episode. Yeah, it was about a $17,000 bid. There was another store that was right in between that, and I called Ben. I was like, hey, just let me know if anything uh, funny happens over there. And sure enough, five minutes later, they call me back, like, hey, two people came in and they just, like, did us bad. And so, looking at the trajectory, I saw that, like, okay, I'm up next. Let me get everything ready. Right. Eric, how's it going, man? It's great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I appreciate you joining. Hey, so uh, for the audience um, listening to this episode, um, do you mind just sharing a little bit of like just who you are and, and what do you do? Yeah, um, so I have a, a good career in investigations, dealing from cases in litigation and um, sub rosa investigations, um, mostly dealing with AOE, COE, um, I started my background with um, with uh, national intelligence and things like that, and so after I I left college, I started working on my personal career doing private investigations, which I uh, I jumped into because it was um, just something that you know paid a little bit more. And I went through that. Um, I was doing private investigations for a good while, and I had a, a a variety of good um, contracts, but um, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, um, you know, you can't do face-to-face interviews for um, for fraud investigations for uh, insurance purposes. So, um, I kind of took a break from investigations for a, a year or two, and then finally, when when I guess "quote unquote" uh, COVID ended, I ended up in um, in doing loss prevention for retailers, you know, and you would think like loss prevention for retailers, that just requires a, a security guard at the door and, you know, like doing things in order to, to mitigate loss. But there, there really is a lot that goes in debt with, uh, with dealing with it. And, um, uh, one company that I worked at, um, was a major cosmetics company that I won't name, but, um, they, they took things uh, steps forward with that, you know, like they, we had a whole network of investigators that we work with and um, keeping tabs on things like, um, like where we're getting hit and, you know, just in general, making sure that we have the information needed to keep our assets secure within the area that we worked in. And that has a lot yeah. to do with um, ORC investigations. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, and we'll touch a little bit into ORC investigations, but, um, you know, I, I, I want to build up on, on a point that you mentioned that loss prevention isn't just standing at the door, right? I think that's, a, a, you know, for um, maybe for the last couple of years, that's what 
the majority of people's perception is that loss prevention is just like that person with a yellow vest or some sort of like a traffic looking vest um, standing at the front of the entrance saying, hey, it says in big letters, loss prevention. Uh, but I remember back in my day too, um, when, when I uh, when I was doing loss prevention in ORC, uh, this was like undercover. Like you're actually plain clothes uh, within the uh, within the storefronts and and somebody enters and and starts displaying certain indicators that um, are unusual of the rest of the population and you would essentially be conducting um, foot surveillance on them throughout the store um, and, and then you know you would be able to rule out whether they are actually there to purchase merchandise or whether they're there for other business, right? So yeah, that um, is correct. It is a common misconception that you know the lost prevention person is at the front door. Usually, that's just a secure. And most other retailers, um, it's uh, like a security guard they hire, and then they have the investigator kind of in the background waiting to actually perform certain duties that we're allowed to. That's different from the security guard, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, more recently uh, and, and, you know, let me know if, if you if you, you know, if you think the same, but I've seen less and less um, plainclothes loss prevention at storefronts and, and it might have to do with the risk, you know, involved of actually having plainclothes and, and detaining people. Um, but uh, have you have you noticed the same? Um, well, yeah, where... it is a trend in the um, in the field that you know they're putting less and less um, uh, loss prevention investigators out there, and that's because of the risk that the company takes when um, a bad stop is performed and things like that. You know, there's yeah. a there's a big um, thing with litigation, like you know people. Feel like they're being profiled or you know they're being followed etc so it's a fine line that when you're working that position um there's a fine line that that you're walking you know you on one hand yeah you're out there and you're investigating doing your duties but on the other you have to maintain maintain cover and make sure that people aren't feeling like you're profiling them you're watching them anything like that you know yeah. So, so two points, you know, obviously you and I, um, you know, have a loss prevention background, but, um, but for some of the audience listening, you know, first, um, let's, let's explain to them why even loss prevention would be necessary. And, and then secondly, we can touch based on what a bat stop is, but, um, do you know, uh, do you mind just sharing a little bit about, uh, why, you know, a store would even need loss prevention and, um, and the type of scenarios that, that you've seen, um, in the past? I mean, there's a variety of, of scenes that could occur, you know, um, most, I like to go forward and think that most people are, are, um, not there to take anything, but given the opportunity, you know, you're in a store and you look around and nobody's watching you. There's no one there, you know, you can, you know, within the realm of possibility, pocket it and walk away. And I like to say that um, most theft is like that, where people just are given the opportunity. It's not that they went in with the intent to go in and steal a bunch of things, or they're just, you know, like, hey, let me go in, let me get buy one item, two items, and oh, like, this one's kind of out of the budget, but if I slip it into my pocket, you know, 
it won't be a problem. But, um, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. retailers want to mitigate that type of um, loss because over time that does become a number that's, that becomes more and more significant. And then apart from that, you have the people that actually go in with the intent of, you know, making massive damage and doing numbers in order to sustain their lifestyles or anything like that due, due to whatever external factors that may tap into that. Yeah, no, those, those are great points. And I think that, you know, intent and no intent, you know, that's, uh, that's one thing that I, that I think it's, it's worth, um, you know, explaining a little bit further. It, it almost, uh, it, I think of, uh, it almost relating to fraud, right? How there's soft fraud and there's hard fraud. That soft is correct. Fraud is yeah. More, you know, specifically, let's say on, 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 the, on injury claims, soft fraud would be more of somebody actually sustaining an injury, but then during the course of the claim, they, you know, exaggerate, they're malingering, they're extending out the claim unnecessarily. And because it extends, essentially that's additional dollars that, um, that it's costing the claim that otherwise if they had not performed or they had not extended or exaggerated, um, those dollars would have not been paid out. And so that would be more of like the soft fraud and the hard fraud is like the people that actually have intent of the fraud, right? Like this is not a legitimate situation and they completely fabricated everything. So, um, I, I like to see it that way, uh, in terms of loss prevention too, cause you, you made, you made, a, uh, some great points. There is the majority of people do walk into stores and they don't necessarily have an intent to, uh, commit that, right? They walk in there and it's more of a crime of opportunity. Exactly. Um, so when I'm out there on the field and, um, you know, making my rounds and walking around, you know, I, people will show indicators of, you know, what their, their intent is, you know, like looking up at cameras or kind of, um, you know, checking aisles. And once you appear in an aisle, like they run into a different aisle. Um, yeah. those are all indicators that, oh, somebody might be up to something, you know? And so well, I'll, you... um, yeah. I'm sorry, you were saying something? No, I was going to say, what do you, what do you think it's the percentage of, of people that actually have an intent to uh, commit theft when they walk into a store? You know, um, I worked various locations for various um, companies. So I would say that depending on the location, because some locations are kind of um, just heavy, heavy door movement. Um, let's say about five percent or something like that mm -hmm. i think that sounds about right yeah it's like 95 percent just crime of opportunity about like five ten percent is is those that actually intend to to uh, to commit the crime even before they they walk into the store yeah one of the five percent i would yeah. say that it would be um there's some people that come in with just an empty shopping bag from another store you know, and I'll notice that and I'll be like, okay, they're here to do something. And then there's, you know, the ORC groups that go in with huge bags and they, they know exactly what they're doing and they're in and out within two, three minutes. Oh, totally. They're fast. Let's, let's talk a little bit about bat stop. All right. So, um, 
for uh, why don't you why don't you go a little bit into that? What what would be consider a bad stop? Oh, so yeah, in terms of um, loss prevention these days, um, there's been different laws um, passed here and there, and uh, companies have moved forward with um, you know adjusting to those laws. Um, Profiling has been a major issue in the loss prevention field for a while now. And, you know, a bad stop now. Um, I would say that it's just when you go in and you perform your duties. And then finally, when you're able to um, stop someone and you, you need to make sure that you have all of your correct, um, like you have all of your five steps ready for that, which would mean that you saw them enter the store, you saw them approach the the um, the items, you see them select the items, and then you see them conceal the items, and finally you have them walk out and you approach, right? But if you don't have any of those, then that would be considered a bad stop. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, the the five elements of being able to uh, satisfy a legal stop, because I, I can't tell you how many times uh, before or even for a while it came out on the news, too, a lot of times where um, loss prevention investigators were just stopping people outside, but then uh, upon conducting further investigation, it'll be determined that maybe they just they miss one of the five elements and they weren't and they weren't entirely too sure, right? And and uh, and like you mentioned, them you know you see the person um, entering the store, right? Because now that's that's important because obviously you got you got to see what they walked into the store with, or at least what they what they have with them, and you see yeah. them approaching and selecting an item, right? Very crucial because now that's something that is that is being selected from your store and then you see them conceal the item. Yeah. Now, the concealment doesn't necessarily, and and um, and I want to get your thoughts on this, but I, I've seen before where um, some loss prevention uh, investigators at the time that they would see concealment, they'll make the stop right there and then. Yeah, unfortunately, um, things have yeah. changed and, you know, with with laws um, changing, it's making it harder and harder for loss prevention investigators to do their work because um, the clients are protected. You know, it could be that someone is just like you know grabbing it, putting it into their bag, and then they walk out with it. But up until that point that they walk out, they are still okay because they might you know walk up to the to the front to the register, take it out of their bag, and then pay for it. You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you can, exactly. You can tell the body language, but legally in in the court of law, they would be okay up until the point that they walk out with the item, and then the the crime is committed. But until yeah. that it happens, the client is still at clear. So that would be a bad stop if you stop them at any time before you before they walk out. Now, right. in order yeah. to deal with that, you you have a variety of techniques that you would conduct in order to prevent that loss from occurring in the first place, or kind of in a way, um, uh, quote unquote, burning the, the case where you would, um, you know, step into the aisle right as they're putting into the bag and you kind of just stare at them, you know, nonverbal right. ways of you, um, stopping that. 
you know, you you might be approached and say, oh, that was a cool, um, you know, item that you picked up, you know, and in a way you're just saying like, hey, you know, you're not, you're not saying that you're, they're stealing or anything, but you're, you know, pointing but out the it, fact that the item is there, you know? Uh, yeah. It's kind of like just telling them like, yeah, I saw what you did. Right. And, uh, and if you still decide to, you know, pass points of payment and, and fail to pay and exit the store, which we'll just know that I'm watching you. Right. And, and, yeah, uh, pretty much. And, and I feel like most people that, um, would be opportunists, you know, people that had the opportunity just because they didn't see anybody there, you know, they will, uh, kind of freak out and then just drop it and, you know, leave the store. Mm -hmm. So Why? That's, the way that, that's the method that I used in order to stop most of my, um, my smaller cases. Yeah. Yeah. Some people may be wondering why would you even want to burn a case? Like, why would that? Why would that be a goal to 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 burn a case? You know what? That's a that's a very good question. Um, in terms of loss prevention in my career, it's better if I just you know let it occur and then I go and um, you know, conduct a stop and all that. But burning the case, I feel like um. It's just kind of the right thing to do because I don't think most people are out there to mush maliciously, you know, go out and steal and do, do that. And, you know, the repercussions for, for, you know, shoplifting is, is bad. So why, why ruin someone's day? Why ruin someone's week and month and probably their year, you know, just from them doing one wrong thing, you know, they weren't there to to uh, massively steal and take a bunch of things. So why not just try to mitigate that and stop them from doing that, you know? Yeah, no, and I think, and, and like you said, it's there's- kind of like, of um, you know, it, not to say that it's, it's not that people want to do the right thing, but it's just doing the right thing, you know? Let's not really, like, sure, I'm there to do a, a job and to prevent loss, but also I'm there to do the right thing. Yeah, no, I I love that you mentioned that because you know it's 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 like going back to that scenario where you see you know mom walking in with maybe two kids and and you know she has a a, a shopping cart full of items and then maybe you know she's in the aisle alone and it's like oh you know nobody's watching and maybe the paycheck's a little too tight so I'm just gonna slide these couple of items inside my purse and while. Technically, you could just let it happen and observer, you know, continue to the points of payment, fail to pay for those items and then exit the store. And upon exiting the store and meeting those all of those elements, she legally committed, you know, um, uh, death. Then you stop her and that could ruin her day. Right. It, it, it obviously it's it it's going to result in some criminal uh, repercussions and and that could affect her um her her children too and having you know exactly. having to and the fact her. that the children are there you know witnessing this happen um you know i've had private conversations with a couple of coworkers that i had and yeah. they didn't they didn't believe in what i was doing they're like why would you do that why wouldn't you just you know anti your numbers and then you know making these people pay for their crimes and stuff and i was just like you guys don't look at the human aspect of this that you know these are other people that are in their own positions and yeah they're doing something bad but if you have the chance to you know stop that and make sure that they don't do it then you know 
Well, and I think in massive and in in uh, in larger numbers, you are actually stopping it, you know, because you're creating a behavior uh, within within the store that if people walk in and you prevent them from actually walking out, uh, walking out of the store with the item, you may not satisfy the stop, and you may not be able to add that to your statistics, right, of the number of stops or, mm -hmm. or things that uh, that you know that you perform. But, but then what is that person going to do? They're going to tell everybody else, like, hey, don't go in that store and try to steal because there's people there watching you. And so yeah. while you may have not performed that one stop, if you do that enough, um, it, it will create a behavior of the customers walking into the store where now they know that, hey, there's there's people in plain clothes here. There's investigators. And if yeah. you steal an item, like, they are going to be watching you and you know, if you put it away, it might let you go, you know, with the warning. Um, but just know that if you walk out, like there's, there's going to be some consequences to that. Yeah. I definitely, um, I did enough to, to gain notoriety in one of the stores that I was frequently at because I would have, um, not to profile or say anything, but, um, a majority of our loss was, um, uh, because of like teenage, um, subjects. Yeah. So, um, when I was first there, they, it was like constant, you know? And then over time I gained notoriety because I, I would see groups of teenagers come in, you know? And then as soon as they saw me, they just, you turned and walked right back out because they already knew they're like, Oh, that's the guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. I, I, I've had some of those situations too before where like people walk in and, and you just build an eye for it, right? It's it. Uh, yeah. I guess you could you could, uh, in a way, uh, describe. Well, you know, you're looking at how fast somebody's walking into a store. You're looking at like their facial kind of expressions. You know, are they? Do they seem like they're there for a particular item, or do you see them just kind of walk into a store and randomly start looking at everything? Almost like almost like they just want to find something to grab. Really? Um, and, and you just, you just some, somehow like, uh, um, like you just pick up on it over time. Yeah. And when somebody walks in, it's like, you just know, Hey, this person, like they just displayed some behavior that I don't know what's going on, but it's gravitating me towards them. So I'm gonna, you know, yeah. follow it until I can rule out that they're, you know, here for, um, legitimate purposes. The way that I would, um, I would catch on to people. I just mainly looked at one body language you know people checking cameras and you know the way they walked or yeah. um you know somebody running into a store really really fast and things like that will kind of indicate it but the biggest one would be their i wouldn't say that what they're wearing like their i, I would say it's their clothing but i wouldn't say it's it's like the style of clothing or anything like that but using their clothing how much can they can they put into yeah their clothing you know yeah so if you see a backpack then i'm gonna keep an eye on that because a backpack is something that you know you can just place items into you know yeah. or like especially a larger see... yeah and i was yeah, just yeah. gonna say especially if you see the bag like empty right like it just seems like it's not uh like it's it's just light there's there's yeah. really nothing in there uh oh, but yeah. then uh, as they progress through the store it gets uh thicker and thicker heavier and heavier <laughs> yeah no, uh, yeah, it's either like an empty retailer bag. Sometimes they would walk in with an empty retailer bag, like still folded, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And I'm like, yeah. okay, so the bag's folded. They can't put anything in it. And all of a sudden, it's not folded and there's items in there. Right. Yeah. All right. So I think it's important to know, too, that just just as investigators, how we're able to pick up on on some of these uh, nonverbal cues, some of these behaviors to, you know, um, narrow down who possibly is there for, you know, to, to commit death and, and, and follow them. The, some of these people are also professionals, and this is more on the ORC side, right? That they walk in and they know what a plainclothes investigator looks like. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're, they, you know, they'll be able to pick up on some of that stuff and, and, um, and, and maybe not commit the, not, not commit the act. Um, I, I, some even go to the extent of, uh, you know, I, I, I find this that some would even go to the extent of testing you out. It's like yeah. you're following them around. They, they kind of know like somebody's watching them. Then they'll conceal an item on purpose while they know that you're watching them. And then they'll kind of like test you around through the store to see how you behave towards them. And just as they're walking out really fast, like towards the points of payment, they'll take it out of their pocket and they'll put it right next to that cashier. And, and at that point, it's like newer loss prevention investigators, what they'll do is like they'll start rushing towards this person, right? Because the person's moving very, very fast towards the, towards the, the exit. But then they just leave the item inside the store, and now they already they already identify who's in that store that's basically plain clothes watching. Yeah, um, just as and, just as we keep eyes on them and keep tabs on who's um, doing these things, um, I know for sure that they keep tabs on us as well. For sure, let's let's talk a little bit about ORC. So, what what is ORC? ORC is organized retail crime. That is crime committed in groups of people that um you know hit stores constantly you know basically like uh career thieves yeah yeah and um you know i know you were involved you know with with orc a lot um and uh what what are some uh uh you know to, to the degree that you can share what are like some some war stories some you know a case that stands out in your mind of ORC? Um, one of the biggest, I actually did get one of the biggest cases on the West coast at the, um, at the retailer that I was at for two years. Um, yeah, it was about a $17,000 hit that I prevented. And, um, that was a massive number and it took, um, it took all of the resources that were at our hands in order to, to perform that, um, big bust. So basically, um, me as an investigator, we all, um, maintain contact with each other and we share intel with each other. We, uh, warn each other, you know, Hey, I just got hit over here at my store. Keep a lookout, things like that. And ORC is something that's, um, that I would say is our prime directive for preventing loss because, you know, we can be there and prevent the small things, but truly what the, the company wanted us to do was to prevent these massive losses and, you know, work with, um, police, uh, ORC task forces and, um, you know, um, sheriff departments, um, working yeah. with uh, law enforcement in order to, um, help put a stop to the ORC uh, cases happening 
So um, with that, we would build reports on every time that we got hit. And um, yeah, for this case in particular, one of my coworkers gave me a call and um, he was at a store probably 15 miles from me. And um, it was probably two or three stores that that were between me and him. And he called me. He's like, hey, I just had a pretty big, um, pretty big case right now. I'm going to shoot you over a picture. Keep a lookout. So I took the pic, I took the picture and I, you know, saw who it was. And, um, after that, probably 15 minutes later, um, because uh, as an investigator, we covered multiple stores, not just the, the one that we were posted at for the day. Mm -hmm. Um, another one of my stores that I was normally at, they called me and they said, Hey, um, two people just came in and they just did some pretty big damage to us. And I was like, cool, can you send me a picture? And um, they sent me the picture off the cameras, and uh, it was the same two people. So I was like, okay, so they're traveling downward. There was another store that was right in between that, and I called them. I was like, hey, just let me know if anything uh, funny happens over there. And sure enough, five minutes later, they call me back, like, hey, two people came in, and they just, like, did us bad. And so looking at the trajectory, I saw that, like, okay, I'm up next. Let me get everything ready. Right. And so I uh, contacted um, the sheriff's department, and I said, hey, um, I might need your help in a couple of minutes. And right, right as I was on the phone, they walk into the store. And so I run back, and I watch these two people um, walk into the store, and it was a one male and one female subject. And the female subject had a massive, um, she was a skirt booster, which means that she had a, um, like a large skirt that goes down to the floor. And <laughs> within that skirt, there's a bag that they, they fabricate in order to be able to, um, slide items from, from a slit on the side of the skirt into the, this like massive bag. And they're able to put in tons of items in there, you know? And so wow. they targeted um, uh, some items that were, you know, palm size, but retail for like $50, $60 a piece. So they just come in and they just um, one acted as a lookout while the, the female subject was just going to town and putting items in. And it was all while I was on the phone with um, the sheriff's department. I was like, I need immediate assistance. I have all, all steps. They, I have them coming into the store. And they're placing everything into a booster skirt. And uh, thankfully, um, well, at the time, they, um, the sheriff's department was very busy with other cases. And they were telling me, oh, like, we have, uh, we have an ETA of 10, 15 minutes to get there. And I'm thinking, damn, like, these guys are fast. Like, there's no, way, yeah. there's no way that I can keep them in the store for 10 minutes. So I had to get on radio with the, with the people that worked at the store. And I was just telling them, like, hey, um, just let you guys know, we have some people in the store. Please, if you see them, just avoid them and go into another aisle. Like, don't don't help them out. It's fine. Let them let them do what they need to do. You know? And that's in, also in terms of safety, because I didn't want anybody, like, just in case, like, they saw something and, you right. know, the subjects get aggressive and maybe hurt them. Because that's yeah. another personal directive, not something that I was really in charge of or told, like, oh, oh make sure that people are are safe but 
I feel like it, it's just something like the right thing to do. The last thing that I would want is that while I'm on the job, somebody gets injured from somebody, you know, getting crazy on them. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I was able to entertain them for about 10 minutes until the police arrived. But um, I guess they, they had their fill and they went to town on us and they walk out and I go and um, that's when I go and make contact. You know, I have all my steps and I'm ready to detain. I'm just going to entertain them until like the police arrive. So I go, I approach them and uh, the female subject just tells me like, oh, um, oh no, we didn't do anything, et cetera. I'm like, no, it's fine. Let's just go in. We need to talk, you know, just doing my proper mm-hmm. steps. And the the male says, um, like, she doesn't want to talk to you or whatever. And then he goes and he shoves me. Now at this point, once um, he pushes me, that turns it into a different charge right. in the state of California. It's no longer just a regular theft. At that point, it becomes uh, robbery. I right. Believe. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, he's physically um, harming me in order to, in to order conduct to, it. You know, he just shoved me. Yeah. Like, that's still physical, physical aggression. Yeah. And it so, just turned that into a felony automatically, with regardless of the value of the items, right? Because um, for for some of the people listening, um, you know, in California, there's there's a threshold of the value that somebody needs to be able to take uh, to be considered either petty theft or grand theft. And petty theft would be a misdemeanor; grand theft would be a felony. But regardless of the amount that they're taking, the minute that they're using physical force to be able to take these items um uh for, against somebody's will that it turns it into robbery and that robbery is a felony um and it's considered a violent crime so you know it's just upscaled the charges automatically yeah so at that point he upscaled the uh the charges and um yeah they start he pushes me out of the way i kind of take a step back and um they start running towards a door an exit in the mall and um, right as he's about to exit, he sees the police cruiser uh, rolling in towards him. And he has a moment. He's like, oh, shoot. He pops a U-turn and starts running. And meanwhile, the female subject um, stays behind. And I found that kind of odd. She kind of just turned around and uh, turned herself into me. She says, I'll go with you. I don't want to run. But the, yeah. the male gentleman runs. Um, the sheriff department pulls up kind of um, a, um, starts to analyze the situation because they don't, obviously they don't know what's going on but I just tell them like hey I'm I'm a loss prevention for them she's here she already um, said that she's uh, she's complying uh, the gentleman went up the stairs this way and so they had there was a whole chase and um, unfortunately uh, the male gentleman got away but we did get the female and so they took the female into custody and uh yeah the reason for her um turning herself in is that she was actually pregnant at the time so she didn't she wasn't able to like run and do all that you know yeah or i mean that that was just not going to be safe for her either right if this resulted in some sort of altercation um you know it would it wouldn't have ended good so she she made a good choice um man yeah no that's uh uh, that's crazy. You know, that the, the amount you said was like 17,000, uh, yeah, 
Wow. That's, that's a large amount. Um, and I give you, I, I give you kudos for, you know, taking the initiative of telling your staff not to engage them, um, in the store, because, um, I remember, um, you know, when, when I, uh, was starting my career and, and then I was doing loss prevention too in retail, um, that same thing, we were just monitoring somebody that walked into the store. We knew that, uh, we knew who they were because of just, you know, pictures and just intel that shared, you know, within the team. So we knew what they were up to and we just kind of let them do their own thing. Hey, you know, take the items. We'll, we'll satisfy all, all elements. So once they walk out, we'll, we'll perform a detention at that point. Um, but I remember that we, we did the same thing as my partner and I, it was two of us and, and we told everybody in the store through radio and everybody was like wearing the earpieces. So we weren't concerned that, you know, the, they were going to overhear us. We said, do not engage them. You know, they're, they're, you know, they're taking some items. You, you might notice that what they're doing, but just don't engage them. Don't, don't get close to them. And as they're walking out, like one of the cashiers just steps in front of them and, and like tries to prevent them from going out, which one that's impeding the elements to be fully satisfied, right? Because they still have not stepped out of the store. Mm -hmm. So that, that, you know, that's preventing from, you know, uh, failing to, to pay from all points of payment. Uh, but two, the, the, this was two males and one of them like literally tackles the cashier down. And as they're yeah. kind of in a physical altercation, uh, the male actually takes out a knife from his pocket. And, um, and, you know, attempts to stab the, the, the cashier. And luckily that cashier was able to kind of like push him away and he didn't actually get stabbed, but then, and then he just took off running. And, and like, after we well, like the, at that point, like we already had like PD on the phone and, and like, you know, everybody's like rolling in and, and then, you know, they chase them and eventually arrest them. You know, that was assault with the deadly weapon at that point. And they charged with, you know, robbery cause they end up actually walking out of the store with the items after all. And, um, and it was just a bad situation, but it could have been much worse, right? Yeah. If, if, uh, luckily, you know, the cashier was able to push himself away and didn't actually get stabbed, but man, what if it had not actually happened that way? You know, that could have been lethal. Um, and, and it's not, you know, it's not worth it. You know, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, it's property. It might be a, a large amount that, that somebody's taking, but it's not worth your life. And, you know, if, yeah, if they have it's an item. And I always told um, uh, all of the people that I work with, I was like, leave all of this to me. Like, you know, your, your job is sales and service. Um, my job is loss prevention. Leave that to me and don't worry about it because it is dangerous. You know, they yeah. could, um, you know, anything could happen. And even in um, today's uh, laws, like that cashier probably would have been fired, you know? Yeah. Because there's a lot of things happening that. Um, well, he for sure, he for sure was, um, I don't think he was fired, but he for sure was reprimanded uh, yeah. for, for doing like, that. Uh, yeah. One, because we told him not to, yeah, one, we told him not to engage. Two, he was, you know, impeding our investigation at that point. And, and three, um, it, it was just not good. It was just not a good situation for anybody. It, it resulted in obvious, you know, it, he actually did sustain injuries, you know, from the whole scuffle and everything. And, and all of this could have been prevented, you know, for us, I mean, we were going to make contact once they exited, 
But if they like take off and they run and, you know, eventually they get away, we know who they are. We have their identity, you know, as part of our overall uh, ORC investigation and eventually we'll get them. You know, it's just going to yeah. be a matter of of continuing the investigation. And, and it's not like, okay, they got away with another 5K of items. Okay, that's, well, that's 5K added to the list, right? 5K and, added and once, they, once they get caught, which when they keep doing this, they eventually yeah. do get caught. You know, all of the cases that were previously put on them get added to that major, yeah. to that one stop that they got. Yeah, yeah. Which brings me to the next point, which is, you know, you touched based on it a little bit um, at the beginning, which is surveillance, right? Um, very important in ORC because sometimes sometimes the the whole goal is not to actually detain them outside of the store for ORC. Like sometimes you want to follow the money, right? You want to follow to see where that merchandise is going. Because yes, you might be able to stop them outside. They might cooperate with you and you're, you know, you're preventing them from taking, I don't know, two, three thousand, four thousand, five thousand dollars of of merchandise. But the bigger picture is that merchandise is going somewhere else. Where is it going so that we can bust that location, you know, with the police department and seize everything and being able to get to 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 the main heads of of this organized group, right? Um did, did you ever engage in any like surveillance, uh, anybody, uh, like once they, um, you know, they left and, and kind of follow them from there? Yeah. Um, I worked closely with the police departments of the stores that I, um, helped out at. So I think my closest, um, I guess contact was the Irvine police department. They were really helpful. They had their own task force. Um, they even had like on-site PD that I became friends with because, you know, we were all in, on the same page of working together. Um, so yeah, with them, they would um, kind of let me know what was going on and, you know, people that they were targeting and, you know, I would help them out with, um, you know, providing them with uh, surveillance video of them entering the store. And they would let me know ahead of time, like, oh, hey, we think we have a group um, entering the area, like, Please keep a lookout. And um, along with them and, you know, all of our investigators in-house with all of, with our retail group, um, we all work together to make sure we bust these ORC groups. Um, and then even other retailers, we collaborated with um, competitors and even just uh -huh. people that worked nearby us. I had a very close connection with, um, with another retailer where he would come in and check in with me and he's like, Hey, if you ever need help on a case, just call me and I'll, I'll run over and, and we'll do it. And I'm like, you're, you don't even work with me. <laughs> like, you know, well, but it benefits everybody, right? Because you know, these people essentially, if they're doing it with one retailer, they're doing it with everybody else. So exactly. they're, they're coming and they're going to hit you with, you know, taking all these merchandise. Uh, but then maybe two days after they're going to go to the neighbor and, uh, and do the same to them. So that's, yeah, I, I like that, that you touch point on the importance of collaboration, even if it's not, you know, within your same internal team, but just networking with everybody else and, and doing that collectively. Cause you know, you're able to put somebody away that overall is just, you know, stealing from everybody, well, that's, that's obviously going to benefit you, but it's going to benefit yeah. everybody else. Um, because they need to keep stealing, you know, he, um, that particular contact, he had his own thing and 
you know, one time he did call me out. He's like, hey, like, come and help me out. Um, watch my other exit and then just follow them. And so I was able to provide that surveillance for him, you know, and he eventually busted um, an ORC group, which in turn led to them finding the stash house. And it was a whole intricate network of um, people taking things and then they take it to a house where they just, um, they, they sell it from there. And um, he called me up. He's like, hey, um, we have our items here, but then there's a lot of items that you guys sell at your store if you can come over and identify you know, yeah. then we, we would go over there. Um, yeah, sure enough. Like they had items that we, that we carried and we were able to, um, connect that to a case that we had and we were able to, you know, get some charges added to that. Yeah. That's insane. You know, it's a, and, and, you know, a lot of these people that are involved in ORC, um, committing these crimes at a larger scale, um, usually they don't start at the ORC level. It's they start of uh, at the crime of opportunity phase where they'll walk in and they'll maybe just put, you know, one item in their purse or their pocket and then they'll walk out and then they're like, Okay, I got away with that. Next time I'll double it. Right. Okay, I got a I got away with that. And then they keep increasing, increasing, increasing. So it's actually a behavior that keeps worsening over time, uh, the more and more they get away with it. To eventually now they go up to the larger numbers where now they're not just hitting one store, but they're hitting multiple stores. And these um, groups are very organized, right? Like they're like a well-oiled corporation. You got the people on the, on the ground, you know, collecting the merchandise. Then you got the transportation from there, taking it back to the distribution center, which is the stash house. Then yep. you got the processing, you know, people once it's there, whether they're rebranding it or where they're repackaging it or whatever they're doing from there and then distributing it from there. And then you got the collections aspect of people with the money. And then that money's probably going to lead to purchasing some other stuff to, you know, fund a bigger operation. And it's like, it's an ongoing. People um, don't realize the scope of this. Yeah. Um, you see it on the news all the time. I used to see it on the news all the time. And before I joined, um, uh, boss, the loss prevention field, um, I was just thinking, well, they're just making a big deal out of it, but no, it actually does lead to bigger things. It, it even goes as deep as, you know, even human trafficking that they're using to fund these operations, you know? Yeah. They'll, they'll bring people from abroad where, you know, it would be difficult for them to get charged or they just would just get deported or something like that. Yeah. They bring them in and they're the ones that they have, you know, going in, selecting, doing the actual work of it, you know? Yeah. No, that's a great point that, it's, that you it's bring. It's shocking, really. Yeah. And yeah. there's not much that they can do about it. Exactly. It's a bummer, man, but you know, it's, it's an ongoing kind of issue. And, um, and so as long as, you know, there's uh, uh retail and so as long as people can continue to, which, which I don't think any of that needs to change. Right. I think it's convenient to be able to go to the store and to be able to, you know, select your items and purchase them. But just like with anything, you know, there's going to be always those players that are going to try to take advantage um, of the system. And that's why it's so important to be able to have some sort of defense line, you know, as, as an employer, as a retailer, uh, whoever is selling this merchandise, you know, being able to have a team that, uh, has experience with these type of situations, 
uh, so that not only, you know, that team can address them, but can address them the proper way too, to make sure that you're mitigating your legal exposure, that you're mitigating risks um, of like injuries or other components happening um, and just positively impact the, the company rather than, you know, bring uh, negativity um, into the, the fold. Yeah. You know, uh, as, as we're wrapping up this conversation, um, you know, education, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's one of the things that we, as an Institute, we see it as, as the great equalizer, um, in the world, um, you know, being able to have access to education and, and, and being able to, um, not just in one, uh, particular concentration, but investigations, um, in general has, uh, you know, it, it's, it's massive. There's so many different disciplines of investigation. There's forensics, there's loss prevention or C insurance defense. I mean, we won't be able to name all of them. Why do you think, in your opinion, what do you think education is, um, important? Education is very important. Um, without education, you don't have the basically your foot in the door into the investigation field because you need to develop your skills as a writer. Um, you need to develop that keen sense for, or basically get an eye for investigations. Like, you know, making sure to read all the different variables at play in order to get all that. And um, education is the stepping stone into the field. Yeah, experience matters, but without education, you won't get that experience. You know, my career started when I was in college and I, I went um, into international studies um, and I was one of the top performers in, in my college. So um, that gained the interest, the, uh, I got the interest of, um, you know, the intelligence community here in the United States. And, um, they kind of recruited me to come in and do some interning and, you know, just in general going in on cases that they had open. So, um, without that, I wouldn't have gotten that particular experience in the intelligence community. Yeah. And then after that, um, I got contacts with people in like private intelligence and like doing private investigations, things like that. And so after a while, um, you know, I was in school and then I, I got out of school and I just went straight to work in private investigations, doing sub Rosa contracts, um, working in, in drug enforcement, things like that. And yeah. that led to, you know, private investigations, doing fraud investigations for insurance companies, things like that, dealing more with litigation. So I hopped from like, you know, the different aspects of um, investigations being national intelligence, um, being in private investigations and litigation, uh, and even into retail ORC investigations. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What do you, what do you think that, so when, as, as you were making your transition into private investigations, if you would have had a, a platform, you know, let's just say an institute that, you know, provided, um, all of the qualifications and training that you needed to be able to, 
um, fast forward your career in any of these uh, concentrations that you mentioned, you know, fraud investigations, loss prevention, uh, surveillance or anything, how, how would that, how would have that impacted your career? Do you think it would have, it would have gotten you, uh, to where you wanted, uh, to be much faster? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I was lucky enough to, you know, already be in school and go into the intelligence field, which was, you know, I think in terms of investigations, that's probably the top tier, but, um, I think in order to get into private investigations, I wouldn't have gone there without that experience. So if I never got that experience, it would have been really difficult to get into investigations. They would want to see like, oh, he did loss prevention for three, four years, you know? Whereas if I were to have gone to school and had that investigation experience, I would have gotten, you know, into that position without having to, to, um, you know, kind of already yeah, have to gain way around, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, just being able to learn it, learn it the right way, um, without having to fumble your way around and hoping that somebody's gonna take you under their wing and, and at least, you know, teach you some, some, uh, things of the yes, trade. Because that is the state of the, the field at the moment that you kind of just have to be selected. Somebody has to pick you and take you under their wing and teach you the ways of how, how to do investigations, um, show you how to do it right, you know, telling you what you need to look out for, indicators, um, the different variables that are at play. Whereas, you know, if you're already in a school and taught all of that, then you won't need that because you already have a ground, a basis to go off of. Now you just need the actual experience of performing yeah. the investigations. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, I think it just gives you control of your career, right? You're not hopeful anymore that somebody's going to pick yeah. you and say, Hey, I think you would be good at this or, or sure. I'll take you under my wing and give you a shot. It's like, no, you don't need that no more. It's like, you now have a school, you can, uh, you know, educate yourself, become certified in these concentrations. Now you actually need just the hands-on experience, but that gives you control over your career and, and you're not dependent on, on others anymore. Exactly. So, you're not waiting on different positions to open up and to get that experience. You just already kind of have that that footing so you can just jump into whatever you need to jump into yeah that's awesome well hey eric it was uh it was great chatting with you um and uh you know loss prevention orc it's always an interesting topic to to talk about it uh it always brings back memories you know um yeah uh, and, uh, yeah like just being on the you know on the floor and doing the rounds and and uh walking around, seeing uh, who's there to, to do what and and then, you know, looking for those elements and doing all that stuff. So I appreciate you joining the show. And um, and I know that everybody listening to this, you know, would would find um, this uh, episode uh, beneficial. So thanks a lot for uh, for joining. No, thank you for having me. Hey there, thanks again for tuning in. If you like this type of content, go ahead and subscribe and hit that notification button. Next time that we publish something, you're going to be notified right away. Thanks again. See you on the next one.